<clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for your spirit that speaks to our hearts, convicts us, teaches us, tells us. Today, what I have to say isn't news, but, uh, but we need it to be a deep conviction in us. So help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a parable today, a parable that Jesus told. But I want to give you the context of it before I tell you. What has just happened before this parable is that they've come to Jesus and questioned his authority. He's doing some things, and, it's, and they're like, yeah, why do you get to do that? And uh, so they came to him and they said, by what authority do you do these things? And he said, let me ask you a question. John's baptism, was it of God or of man? And it says, they talked among themselves. And they said, if we say it was of man, we'll be in trouble with the people because they all feel like John was a prophet. But if we say it was from God, then, then we kind of trapped ourselves. So they said, we don't know. So Jesus said, all right, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do what I do. And then he goes on and he tells this story, Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, Go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said to him, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, the reason he's telling this story is he's making the point that here are all of the righteous people, all of the, of the properly attired, properly employed, good people, But when the Father came to them with the message of the coming of Jesus, they all said, oh yes, we're all for God's will, but when it came down to doing it, they didn't do it. Yet, all of the people that didn't belong, the tax collectors, the harlots, all of the people that obviously by their lifestyle didn't belong, they listened to John. They listened to Jesus. And he said, it's the ones who do what the Father says that are doing what I want, not the ones who say they will do and don't do it. It's, it's not a, well, it's kind of a disquieting parable, especially for the good people. It's not enough to say you will do it if you never do it. And the other part of this that's, that's unsettling is it implies that those on the outside who don't come here on the right day, who don't do the right thing, who aren't a part of us, who actually go out and do what the Father has commanded, are actually commended by the Father over the so-called good ones who don't. It's troubling. It's captured in the story there. Now, the ideal scenario is the son who says, yes, I will, and then goes and does it, right? 
But somehow children don't always turn out that way, do they? If you've ever raised any. There's always that one that says no. But yet sometimes that's the one that goes and does it. And then there's always the one who tries to please without ever actually having to do what you say. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll be glad to do that. Oh, so sorry. I forgot. Which ones are we? Hopefully, we're all the one that says yes and does it. But it's possible some of us are the yes and don't. So I want to talk about this parable, not so much in its, in its actual context in which Jesus tells the story related to, to those listening to him and coming into the kingdom, but rather in the context of the manner of the illustration he uses. The reason Jesus uses this illustration is that we all know inherently that when your father tells you to do something, you're supposed to both say yes and do it. We all know that. And I want to talk to you today about something that Jesus has told us to do that too often we say yes to, but don't actually do it. I want to talk about service today. Now, we've been talking about the the mission of our church to live the gospel. We've been talking about the vision, passion for God, passion for people, passion for service. And then we've been talking about the values. Worship, family, togetherness. We've already talked about those three. Service. And next Sabbath, we'll talk about testimony. But today, we're going to talk about service. Now, here's the thing about this. This is the only one of the five values that the language of it actually appears in the vision. Passion for God, passion for people, passion for service. And this is important to us because... This is, in many ways, still an aspirational goal for us. That means one that we know is right, but don't necessarily always achieve. You see, service is one of those things that I don't have to stand up here and tell you that part of the Christian life is to be a servant like Christ. You know that, right? That's not news But how many of us actually do that? And this becomes problematic for us because it can suggest the breaking of a couple of the commandments. See, there's this commandment that says, do not bear false witness. And there's this commandment that says, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, I'm not talking about cursing here. We've often applied that commandment just to somebody saying bad words. But that commandment means a lot more than that. And, and here's where it becomes tricky for us. So, so we are called Christians, right? Ever since Antioch, they, they began to be called Christians, and we are a part of the Christians. And where does that word Christian come from? Well, it comes from Christ. A Christian is one who follows after Christ and does as he does. So when you take to yourself the name Christian, you become a witness to what it means to be a follower of Christ. And if you are not being what Christ is, guess what that makes you? False witness. 
and by extension, one who has taken his name in vain. Because that's not what you do. That's not who you are. So if, if we're called Christian, what did Christ do? Well, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 9, and there's a, there's a little verse here that actually appears in Matthew chapter 4, and he kind of uses it as a transitional phrase, but it describes what Jesus was doing. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to break this down a little bit. We go back to the first verse. What was Jesus doing? He was... was, uh, Preaching, teaching, and healing. You see, he went out into the world, he recognized the need, and he addressed it. He served. He attended to the needs of the people. Why did he do it? (coughs) Excuse me. Why did he do it? Verse 36 tells us, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. What happens to your heart when you see the multitudes? I got to confess, sometimes when I see the multitudes, it's not compassion in my heart. Sometimes it's irritation. Sometimes it's disdain. Sometimes it's disgust. You see, here's the problem. The multitudes are like sheep without a shepherd. And you know what sheep without a shepherd do? Dumb stuff. Yeah. Dumb stuff. And you know what? They get themselves into a lot of trouble they deserve. And we stand back in our safe space and talk about how bad they are. But that's not what Jesus did. When he saw people do dumb stuff, he had compassion. That's a hard one to learn. Now he goes on. After he sees all the people like sheep without a shepherd, he says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful but the laborers are few. That doesn't mean the potential laborers are few. It just means the ones that are actually going to the field are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Now, now this is where this saying of Jesus aligns really well with this other parable of Jesus. There is a need. There is a harvest to bring in. And so the father goes to his sons and says, go work in the field. And the first one is reluctant. He doesn't want to, but he finally does. The second one says, yeah, I will, but he doesn't. This is why Jesus says, there's plenty to do. 
There just aren't that many who will do it. When we align with Christ, the Father appoints each one of us work to do in the kingdom of God. And by aligning, we say, yes, I will go work in your field. By calling yourself Christian, you have said, yes, Lord, I will work in your field. But how many of us say it and never do it? I bet you there's hardly anybody in here that when when they became a Christian, they said, okay, but no, I'm not going to do anything. Now, we know that's not the right answer, right? So we give the right answer. But the right answer only becomes truth when we live it with our lives. So Jesus had more to say about this whole idea. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 24. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. Now just a reminder, who are the Gentiles again? Oh yeah, us. Right? Unless you're Jewish. He's talking about us. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary. He was greatest among you. Let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not the one who sits at the table? Yet I, Jesus says, am among you as one who serves. We go back to Matthew. And you'll see essentially the same thing, only in a different context. Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. But Jesus called them to Himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great, exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. All right, so the model for a Christian is Jesus. Can we agree on that? All right. And Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, even though I'm King of glory, come down from heaven. I did not come to be served. I came to serve. So what does that imply for us who come after Jesus, who are not come down from glory, are not King of heaven? Should we not at least accept that same responsibility to serve, to be a servant? There's a lot of different ways we can serve. We get a lot of opportunities in our life. But I want to ask uh, Jennifer Bergram to join me here and see if she can wend her way through. Here she comes. All right. 
Come on across here. We're all watching, so if anything goes wrong, we'll all see it. I didn't want to go up the scary stairs. So. Okay, good. yeah, good call. <laughs> all right, very good. I want to ask Jennifer to join me. Jennifer is our leader of family ministries as well as a lot of other things around here uh, that happen and get done. Now, <clears throat> we had an event last year centered in the context of service. What was that event and what happened? That was Serving Sabbath, and I'm sure many of you served along with us. Um, over 800 were registered, over 900 served the community, our local community, homeless, women and children in need, and animals. We worked with lots of different organizations, and many of you were there with us. So how did that go? Three or four, 20, 30, how many people showed up to be a part of it? Over 900 is wow. our final count. So we had 800 that reserved spots, and our count that day was over 900 people that served in over 20 organizations off campus and on our campus. Did it, did it make a difference? I believe it did make a difference. And at the end of the day, I was quickly asked, can we do this next month? <laughs> so, um, to do it on a monthly basis would be very difficult. It's a huge undertaking to work with the organizations and to reserve the spots for us, for so many of us to be able to serve together, which is what we want. We want to work together as the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay, so we're going to come back to that in just a second, but is that it? We just one chance a year, and, and if you miss that Sabbath, you're out of luck, you can't serve. Are there any other options? Oh, no, we have options every single month. So on the screen, you will see where to find those monthly opportunities to serve. So sometimes you're not sure where to serve or how to serve or who needs help or how to connect with them. So we've done that footwork for you and we've reserved different locations and organizations to work with each month. And you can go right to our forestlakechurch.org website, find the link and set up your location that you'd like to serve with. If you have any questions about anything um, about the monthly activities that we do, my name and phone number and email address is on the back of your bulletin. All right, so, so there's plenty of opportunities along the way. There's things within the church where we can serve, but are we going to do a serving Sabbath again? Are we going to do it again? Yes, we are. The week after our first serving Sabbath, we quickly sat down to pick our next date, which is October 3rd which is the first Sabbath in October this year. So make sure to put that on your calendar. You'll see a lot more of us throughout the summer, um, interviewing more of the organizations like we did last time to help you get a face for who they are, what they're doing, how we can serve them, and how they serve the community. All right, so plan on that coming up, and there's a lot of details that we're not sharing yet. There's a lot of details. We are trying to work really hard to add it to our experience here on our campus, bringing the community to our campus and sharing with them how we've been blessed with the campus that we have. We have such a beautiful campus. We have the ability to serve on our campus as well. So we're going to peel that onion a little bit as we go so that you can see how we're changing it up a little bit for the activities on our campus. All right. So October 3, look for that. That's coming up. Thank you so much, yes, Jennifer, you. for coming. Now, now, I want to talk just a little bit more about service in general because there's one, it's one thing for all of us together to declare a project and do it, right? But we live more than one day a year, don't we? 
And to really live this life of service, it needs to be a continuous. And to that end, I want to tell you a little story. And then you got a card. Did you see the card you got? We're going to go over this in just a second, and I'm going to walk you through each one. We're not going to spend a long time on it, but I want to walk you through it. But before that, I want to tell you a story. So uh, about a week and a half ago, I was having lunch uh, with Lars Homan, one of the members of our church here who was a longtime administrator at Advent Health who recently retired. So he has time for lunch now, so that was nice. So we were having lunch, and as we got to the end of the lunch, we both were jumping up and getting ready to go. As we were getting ready to go, he said something to me that's going to sound familiar to some of you. As we got ready to jump up, he said, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can do for you? And, and I laughed, not because it was funny, but be, because I knew where that came from. See, the reason I know where that line came from, is there anything I can do for you, is because <clears throat> our son Nathan was in the hospital one time, and Alicia was in the hospital, <clears throat> excuse me, was in the hospital one time, and the nurses, after they would come into the room, take care of all the things they had to do, attend to the different details, just before he or she left the room, they would turn and they would say, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, that's, that's something you worked hard to put into the culture of Advent Health, isn't it? He said, you have no idea how hard. Because nurses have way too many things to do. And the last thing in the world they feel like doing when they finally finished up attending in that room is ask if there's anything else they can do. What they want to do is get out there and get going on the ten other things they're supposed to be doing. But because service is so important, and because the spirit of service is so important, the hospital worked hard to bring this into the culture. And so much did it get into the culture that we were just having lunch, and when we jumped up, that was the first thing that came to Lars's mind to say, is there anything I can do for you? What if our encounters here took a form similar to that? What if we had that same spirit towards one another? Is there anything I can do for you? Well, we would love that spirit to catch on here, and that's what this card is about. And I just want to walk through it really fast. It says, service, service to others as an expression of God's mercy. Well, how is service an expression of God's mercy? Well, so Jesus, again, back to Jesus, he's the example. He, he came from the Father. He was the reflection of the Father. And what did he do? He came to serve. And he served all those he encountered with, and he encountered and helped them with the conditions that they had. But then he, he performed the ultimate service when he died on the cross and rose again, that service gives us all the chance of eternal life. So God's mercy came to us through the service of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, the same dynamic still works. God's mercy comes to the world through us. 
Does the world need a lot of mercy? We definitely say, oh, mercy, when we see the world, right? Is the world getting God's mercy through us the way it should be? The first bullet point says, we are committed to be a caring community within and outside the walls of the church. If you were here last Sabbath, we shared some data from a survey that some of the leaders of the church took about a year and a half ago that suggested that we haven't always projected to be a caring community the way I think we would like to. It suggested some within the house have at times felt like, yeah, I don't really feel like I'm in a caring place. We've been working on that. That's why we did the whole, these are the people I love. That's why we focused on 1 Corinthians 13. That's why we've tried to to address the realities of a multi-generational, multicultural community. We're not going to accidentally do this. It's going to be on purpose or else it's not going to happen. We need to be a committed and caring community within, but then also outside so that our influence doesn't just end at the edge of the property. The second point, we are committed to engage our hearts with the hearts of others as we serve. Now this really goes two ways. One of the ways is when you're, you're providing service for another, your heart goes out to that person, you become invested in them. That is one of the ways. But there's another way. And that is when you serve alongside your brothers and sisters of faith, your hearts are knit together in the experience. Now, I'll give you a literal example of this. Well, maybe not literal, but kind of. Uh, the quilting ministry. They serve together and the hearts of those women are knit together. And men, there's some men there too. Are knit together. They have community in their service. And I want to suggest to you that if you're lonely, one of the very best things you can do is attach yourself to a group doing service. This is a group that does service. You come and sing for us. And it's a glorious thing. And we've been, yeah, how many weeks in a row now? Is this three in a row? Two in a row. We'll be here back next week, right? Yes, all right. Your hearts are knit together by this experience, aren't they? When you engage yourself in something. It's easy, too. It's never hard to come on Wednesday night, is it? And it's never, it's never a struggle. Jeremy is always just the perfect conductor. And it's hard to be in a choir and to, do all, and to learn, but it's fun. And that's what happens when you find a group to serve with and participate with. I know working with the kids is easy, right? Getting them all together and singing, is that easy? Not so easy. Having their parents bring them, getting them there on time, keeping everybody in order on the front row for the rest of the service while the pastor goes on and on and on. Yeah. No, it's not easy. But it builds community. And it's such a blessing to us. Many of you built relationships on that serving Sabbath that took place. Multi-generational relationships. 
Sometimes one of the best things to do in the area of service is go outside your comfort zone. I know Pastor Mark is always looking for, for older than youth adults, and that goes anywhere from 20 to whatever, right? <clears throat> Who are willing to invest back. It feels uncomfortable until you do it. Um, so I've told you before, I ended up being a soccer coach at Fleece for the girls' soccer team. Man, I love those girls now. I didn't even know them before. This is what happens when you get involved. The last point, we are committed to a continual awareness of need and finding relevant ways to respond. Okay, sometimes we get in a trap. This is what I know how to do. Whether the world needs it or not, this is what I'm doing. No, true service begins with listening. Listening that is brought about by the question, is there any way I can serve you? And then actually listening to the answer instead of immediately jumping to the thing we think we know how to do. To actually listen. Why do we want all that? Well, that's the purpose. We desire to create a culture where service is relational. It comes from the heart. We want to see this culture develop. I think the beginnings of it are there. But if we nurture it, if we encourage it, if we continue to explore how to do it together. And here's what I'm going to promise you. It's not just the projects we do together. It's not just the ministry areas. I'll bet you each one of you before this day ends is going to have an opportunity to be a servant to serve someone. Before this day is over, you're going to have the opportunity to do something of kindness to somebody. Now, this is the core of what Jesus is getting at here. The Father has said to us, be like my son Jesus. And we have said, yes. And then we go home and live a narrow, selfish life. That's not the call. Maybe the hardest field to truly be a servant will be at home. Every one of us is responsible to the Father for that spirit in our heart. And and I want to close with a text that I know you know. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For you always believed right. And you always showed up for church on the right day. And I'm not reading the Bible anymore, am I? No, those are the ones who said, yes, I will, but didn't necessarily. Right? The standard, the the reason Jesus will be passing out badges of merit at the second coming will be more associated with right doing than flawless thinking. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is the heart of service that you're calling us to have. It's not natural to our nature. We're Gentiles after all. But I know you're merciful. And I know that Jesus has shown us the way. So Lord, help us not be like the Gentiles, but rather be like Jesus. May we give our lives for service. In Jesus' name, amen.